This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. Uh, doing a deep dive on the Atlantic Division today. We talked about the three-headed monster, which is your combination of Clemson, NC State, and Wake Forest in no particular order. All three are going to be preseason top 15 in all likelihood. Mm-hmm. Clemson probably top five. State probably top 10. Wake 15 or 20. Is that safe? I think it's probably a safe yeah. statement. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the conference, in terms of the rest of the division, uh, I think they're scary. Said this to you last hour. I do think Boston College, Louisville, and Florida State will get one of the three I just mentioned that will be preseason ranked, in my opinion. And you throw Syracuse in there because, you know what? Hey, listen, playing at the Dome is never easy. Mm-hmm. There's some pieces that Dino's got, but we're going to get into all of the others other than the top three in the Atlantic. And let's start with Boston College. Okay. Jeff Halfley, great coach, right? Mm-hmm. Terrific. Perfect fit, all about it. Jerkovic, healthy, hopefully, knock on wood. Yeah. Because they are totally different when he's there. Zay Flowers decided to come back. Good for him. Good for BC. Uh, they got some bad news as far as their offensive line goes in terms of returnees. One guy out for the year. Uh, but big picture with BC. What do you see? Same old, same old? Can they finally break through that seven-win plateau? I think they can, but two things have to happen. I think, number one, you mentioned on it, Dracovic's got to stay healthy. And then secondly, he's got to be more consistently strong when it comes to not just yards per game, but explosive plays. Like, you got Zay Flowers. They got to find a compliment to Zay Flowers. But he's got to be able to not just have a 300-yard game, but then the next week not throw for 19 yards against Wake Forest. Right. That, that's the thing, is, is the consistent performance in the passing game. I Listen, this is a program that's been built upon toughness. They're a rugged group. They're a blue-collar group. In the offensive line, they're going to be physical. They're going to be tough. Even if they've got some losses, I think that's where the strength of the program is always uh, revolved around, and, and, and that's their, their group up front. But for me, health at the quarterback position and consistent performance, because you're right. I mean, a year ago, this was one of the worst offensive football teams in the conference. And I know Frank Signetti, you know, I, I got to be honest with you, you know, he moves on to, to Pitt now. But anybody could have been the offensive coordinator at Boston College last year and have what happened to them. And the results probably would have been very, very similar because they don't have the skilled personnel to mask some of those weaknesses. They've got Zay Flowers, but it's not like they're lining up in three and four wides with a bunch of difference makers and can maybe mask not being at your best at quarterback. That's that's not the makeup of their team. Um you know, I always think I think BC first thing that pops in my head is always offensive lineman. Yeah, not not right. good, really good. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, solid, big, strong, tough NFL kind of guys. Yeah, uh, they lose a bunch up front from a year ago, and John Mita Perel, well, the voice of BC, was on with us a couple of weeks ago and said, "I'm not worried about that. That's what we do yeah, here. That's what they do, yeah, right? kind of a reload next man mentality." Uh, but Jerkovic makes the world a difference for them. I mean, yeah. listen, their their quarterback play last year when Jerkovic went down was iffy at best, mm-hmm. at best, and I'm being kind. Right. Uh, but Jerkovic is a difference maker. He's got the NFL quarterback prototype. I mean, oh, yeah. You, you can talk about standing beside somebody. Go stand beside Phil Jerkovic, and you go, holy mackerel. Yeah. That's a big man now. Yeah. He's, he's a big boy. Big, physical, like you said, looks the part. No doubt. Um, strong arm, all of the different attributes that you, that you look for. And, again, taking that next step. We also – we've got to realize – he actually hasn't played that much football. Yeah. You know, he didn't play while he was at Notre Dame. Right. Wasn't in the mix. So 
as he continues to grow, continues to blossom, they continue to add personnel around him and get more turns. If I'm if I'm Jeff Halfley right now, or I'm John McNulty, the new offensive coordinator at Boston College, I'm expecting an incremental improvement in production. Consistency from series to series, quarter to quarter, half to half, um, and and minimizing dips in in production or lapses is, I think, the next evolution for him. All right, I wanted to look at the schedule real quick. And again, we're going to address everybody in the Atlantic that's not named Clemson uh, or NC State away because we've discussed those three in hour number one. I, I told you seven seems to be a ceiling. For whatever reason, BC can't seemingly break through seven it. wins. All right, They haven't won more than seven since the 08 season. So there's the schedule, Tom. You see, uh, is seven the number again? Best case scenario, do you think they can break through that with everything bouncing well, the right way? Here? They're gonna have to. They're gonna have to steal one, if not two, road contests at what four places that are really difficult to play at on the road. Look at the at Virginia at Tech, games. at Florida State, at NC State, at Notre Dame, at Wake, and Wake doesn't lose at home. Right. So I, I think that's the answer to that question: is how do you steal one or two at a place where? Maybe the talent is equitable. You go in, you, you're in there in pregame warm-up, and there's not a huge discrepancy in talent. So now you're dealing with crowd. You're dealing with performance. You're dealing with your own performance because you're not just outmanned across the board. Yeah, that's five tough road games. And then you got to be perfect at home, which, by the way, is halfly kid around. Hey, I finally get Dabo Sweeney to see what Boston looks like. Yes, <laughs> it seems like BC's played in Death Valley for about 10 consecutive Forever. years. It no seems kidding. that way. Uh, all right, yeah. let me switch gears. There's BC. How about Florida State? We're going to talk, obviously, to Coach Atkins coming up about an hour from now, the new, the new OC for Florida State, even though he's been there for three years. Uh, the Knowles in the second half of the season last year impressed me. That, that was a team that could have gone in the tank, not to be seen again to the 22 kickoff, when, given their start and expectations. Listen, I thought Mike Norville and his guys did a tremendous job salvaging what looked to be a total disaster by the end of September of last year. Do you, do you remember when we came on the air and you said, man, we're 60 days away Let's start tomorrow. If we started tomorrow, it'd be great. And I said, not necessarily for the teams. And I can, I'll never forget, it's burned in my brain pack when I had Florida State, Florida, the day after Thanksgiving, Willie Taggart is the head coach at Florida State. And this football team would have multiple procedure penalties. Guys going in motion, two guys at the same time bumping into each other. They had more, more than a handful of occasions where they had 10 guys on the field and nobody knew it. I mean, it was a complete and utter disaster. And ever since then, it's been about trying to get past that, right? And last year at the back half of the season was the first glimpse that we've seen of it. You've got virtually the entire roster of production back both on defense and offense. Yes, you lose Jermaine Johnson, all right, but you've got your quarterback back that won five out of seven games. Uh, you know, you obviously lost to Clemson. On a but that was a game they could have won. They could have I mean, won. They had the lead late right. in Death Valley. Yes. And and Clemson made a couple plays and won the game. Close. And, and, and you're right. That, so that and, – and then you lose that game. But what Florida State then did is they didn't go in the tank, right. which is what they'd been doing. No doubt. They decide to have some pride. I think that's a lot of this is – Locker room chemistry, pride in the program, the la- you know, eliminating the finger pointing, eliminating the negative element, getting a complete and total buy-in. And that comes from leadership, not just from the coaches, but it comes from your locker room. And I think their locker room has not been 
anywhere near what it needs to be to be at a championship level you know, production once you leave that locker room. But it but appears to be heading in the right it direction. It does appear to be heading that way. And I'll tell you the other thing that's exciting, because I think, I think college football has become so much about red zone offense, red zone defense, third down, and obviously turnover margin. Florida State was a top 10 red zone offense in the country last year, yeah. right? So if they if they can continue to upgrade in some of those areas that are really important to winning and losing, because in today's game, I mean, everybody's going from the 20 to the 20 up and down the field. The offensive personnel is too good. It doesn't matter unless you've got defensive front people like a Clemson. You, people are going to move the ball on you. You know, in the old days, if you used to coach on defense, you gave up 350 yards a game, they fired you. All right, now you can give up 500 yards a game and still win the dang game. Yeah. If you perform in the red zone. And I think that's a positive going into the season. Again, Jordan Travis, the bulk of both sides of the football uh, are returning. And I think the mindset is finally, finally starting to turn the corner of accountability and responsibility for production. Uh, 85% of the offense is back. 84% of the defense is back. We talked about the transfer portal, which has certainly been a plus too for Mike Norvell. From a schedule standpoint, very quickly. Uh, people will not make a big deal out of Duquesne, but they will make a big deal out of LSU. Brian Kelly goes down yeah. to Baton Rouge. LSU's been a total train wreck the last two years, falling completely off the map. If people in the national media want to rip somebody for falling off the map, uh, don't worry about Clemson, who won 10. Uh, rip LSU, who's been – they couldn't play dead in a cowboy movie. But that is going to be a big deal in New Orleans. Think about that game. And just think about the game and envision it as if you were in January of 2020. Right. The 2019 season just ended. Florida State was a disaster, right? LSU has arguably one of the greatest college football seasons ever. And you project forward to 2022 and you look at this as an opener. And what would you have said uh, the opening line was going to be? Oh, my God. <laughs> right? I get it gone. This is going to get ugly. Right. Now I have... No idea who's going to win that football game. No. There, that thing, that thing by, I think all measures, could go deep into the fourth quarter, and be maybe one of the best games of that weekend. The, the only thing I miss about that is, is I wish the game was at Tiger Stadium, and I wish the return was at Doke. Doke, yeah. I mean, no I mean, no disrespect to the, the neutral site games. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, you got two incredible home field advantages when everybody's juiced up and ready to go. Yeah. Give me Tiger Stadium and give me the flame and spirit doke, and that would have been awesome. But that is a big deal. But it's a big deal for the league, and it's really a big deal for LSU too because they've been absolute garbage for the last two years. Yeah, and I and, mean garbage. Well, and it's interesting too because both LSU, especially LSU last year and bleeding into maybe a little bit in the year before, and then what we saw prior to Mike Norvell's arrival with Florida State is two teams – that when they got off the bus or you're standing on the field in pregame warm-up, you're going, how are these guys playing this battle? Right. right? Because it's not necessarily been a lack of players or a lack of talent. And and you sit there and you watch them, you're going, what is wrong here? Yeah, what's you know? the disconnect? Right. Right. Exactly. What, what, there is a missing piece, and it's mm-hmm. a major missing piece. But yeah. both of those programs should be great. There's no excuse no, for Florida no State excuse. and LSU not to be factors, big picture, no on a national stage. Uh, Louisville. I think Louisville's flying underneath the radar. I do. Malik Cunningham, enough said. Uh, they got 86% of their offense back. They got 84% of their defense back. Does that sound familiar? Again, all yeah. these teams, BC, Louisville, Florida State. That's why I think they're going to scare somebody. 
But Malik Cunningham is a difference maker. And you go back to, you said something to you the other day. You said, man, if he's consistent, he is a major problem because he can beat you throwing it. He can beat you running it. If he, and again, you know, you kind of talk about those incremental jumps that you want to see improvement. We used to talk about, I feel like we used to talk about this every single year with Kenny Pickett, right? Yeah, right. When was he going to turn the corner? When was he going to make that transition to from game in, game out consistency? That's what I think we want to see uh, with Cunningham. You know, they have some losses. Obviously, the departure of the wideout to Alabama through the transfer portal. You got Hassan Hall uh, no longer. I, Louisville's going to have offensive personnel. And the quarterback makes them so dangerous because he alters how you choose to defend them. You are you are literally playing with fire if you try to man up against them because they're going to have good skill that's going to be difficult to match up with. But then who in the world is going to account for quarterback run? And everybody, the defenders, their backs are turned to the quarterback. He doesn't like what he sees, and he takes the front door, and poof. And we're not talking about a five-yard run just to try to avoid a negative No, he's play. gone. Touchdown. Yeah, he could be gone. And right. so um, we mentioned, we touched on this a little bit earlier. I think it's important that, that where they've addressed it, that they're going to have a strong back end, and they address that in the transfer portal as well. So what I'm curious to see is what type of defensive front seven will they have? Are they going to have the type of group that can get them off the field, that can not get stop, you know, that can stop the run on early downs, uh, try to get people in third and seven long, um, where you're forcing somebody to throw against what is the strength of your defense. I think that's going to be one of the bigger question marks. All right, let's quickly look at the schedule here okay. for Louisville. Uh, I do think they're going to sneak up and get somebody that we perceive to be on top of them within the division. But at Syracuse, kind of feels like an important game for both of them. We're getting ready to talk about Cuse. That's a big game. It's a conference game, and it's one of those kind of, you know, hey, if we're going to do something this year in the conference, right. that's when you got to win, no matter which side you're on. Well, I'm looking at those first four. Yep. All right, just get through September. They could be 4-0. They could be 2-2. Two two. Yeah. You know, because the UCF game is scary. They got athletes, right? No question. You're on the road in the bounce house. Um, Florida State, I think we both agree, are going to be is going to be improved. Yep. And, and you, you can make at home at home, and you could make the argument that Florida State maybe as an overall roster, top to bottom, may have better overall talent. Maybe not as much as disparity used to be, but you do get them at home. But if Louisville is four and zero heading into October on the road at Boston College, and they gain momentum, and that quarterback gets hot. Look out. Well, that's why the game at Syracuse is critical. Because yes. if they go 2 and I would even say if they go 2-0 and in the league, yeah, all of a sudden, all of us in the media are going to go, whoa, whoa, what, what did we miss about Louisville? Yeah. And that and listen, there's going to be some teams like this. I don't care if we're talking about the ACC right. or anybody else nationally. There's always a couple teams that grab you early and go, wow, they're a lot better than I thought they were going to sure. be. I just think Malik Cunningham gives you that chance. No doubt. And if you're at Syracuse, you take your chances, and you got Florida State in my house – all right, let's go play. See where it goes. So you look at the the quarterback play, which we've touched on throughout uh, the the broadcast, both Monday and now, and you see how strong it is top to bottom. And there's a variety of different, different. type of guys, right? right? And you're going to build your ACC quarterback next yeah, hour, right? And 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 think that there are good athletes. Brennan Armstrong's good athlete, good runner. Jordan Travis, good athlete, good runner. And you're so different. The, yeah, they're so, so different. And but none of them are a tailback playing quarterback that can throw and Cunningham is yeah, Jordan Travis is not bad either no 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 he's not but the the suddenness the 
burst. I mean, uh, he, he's like a jackrabbit in cleats. Yeah. You know, it's it's unbelievable. Hey, you might want to trademark that. Jackrabbit in cleats. Oh, I've used that one use for it. years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about human blur? You want to use human oh, blur? Oh, I like that. You like that? I do. That'd be cool in a mug. Um, let me go to finally to Syracuse uh, because Dino, you know, again, gave you signs last year. He had to have a decent year. It could have really been nice right. with a win or two down the stretch. But what about Syracuse? We know about the running back, all-world player. Right. Kind of grabbed everybody by surprise. But when you look at Syracuse, what jumps off the page? I'm, I'm going to go back to the COVID year, fall of 2020, and I had Syracuse at Louisville. And at that time, and I think Dino Babers would probably agree with this statement, was one of the worst offensive football teams I have seen in major college football in years they were completely decimated in the offensive line they had no chance at quarterback and they were just trying to hang on by a thread and then defensively you looked at them and you said hey they got some guys they got some young freshmen that were coming in making plays in the defensive back end they had some pass rushers the problem is the offense couldn't sustain drives and the defense is on the field the entire time now as we've stated with NC State in 2019, um, Clemson last year with some of the injuries and the opt-outs, all those sorts of things. The guys that Syracuse had to play with when that occurred in the fall of 2020 now is part of a return of almost 90% of their offensive production because they had to play with those guys then, particularly in the offensive line. All right. And so to me, what's the jump that Garrett Schrader makes? You know, you, you Tommy DeVito's now at Illinois. Garrett Schrader's is is he the guy? Is he the one? I mean, I I'm looking at their the rest of their roster. I don't know how he's not, but he's got to perform. I mean, they they need him to have a big year. I was, to be honest with you, off of the 2020 season, I was stunned this team won five games a year ago. Well, I think there's some pieces on the defensive side too. That's Tom, what I was saying. I, that I, I, I like, they, I, and they were there two years ago. Right, but they were young. I, right, and so I, I sense that again at home. If the locals can get fired up and show up at the Dome, it's a difference maker because it's unlike any other environment in the ACC when they're packed up, ready to roll. Dino's mm-hmm. talked about it. Uh, that first game, I'll emphasize again, Louisville comes to town. Yeah. It just seems to be such a momentum game for both sides, right out of the gate. Well, and remember, we were talking about you know the dynamic runners. Well, Garrett Schrader is only second in the league in rush touchdowns to Malik Cunningham. And he's a big, tough, physical dude. No question, right here out of the Charlotte area. And he he's a guy that, you know, Mississippi Strait tra- tried to move around to different positions. So you know he's a runner, you know he's an athlete, but but you're right, I mean, you gotta, that Louisville game is huge. You get him at home, and like you said, problems in the dome can always occur. Right, and here's the other thing. Five of your first six are at home, which means, hey, you got to get a quick start because you want the locals to go, guess what? We are building something cool here at right. Syracuse. Let's get on the bandwagon and go. And it starts with that first game. It starts with the first game. And the challenge in those home games is look at the offensive football teams. Syracuse is going to have to score. Purdue yep. is going to be really good on offense. Yep. I had them twice last year. They, 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 they're really, really good football team. We know what NC State's going to be. Obviously, you got to steal one with the gimme there with, with Wagner. And then we've talked about Louisville. So um, there's going to have to be some steals. And again, it's going to come down to the offensive side of the things. I think defensively, they, they've got some parts. 
But regardless of that, the other team's going to be so good on offense that they're going to have to score to be in it in the second half. Yep, with you. Uh, that's your Atlantic Division preview. When we come back, some new faces, some things for you to pay attention to for the upcoming 22 campaign for the Atlantic Coast Conference. We'll get into it deeper. Tom Luganville filling in for West Durham. It's Packer and Durham right here on ACC Network. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Get ready. July 5th. That would be next week for anybody paying attention. Time for the school takeovers. And we go alphabetically, so Virginia Tech fans do not get on my case. It was not my call. We start (laughs) with Boston College. And the Eagles, you'll get them 24 hours a day right there, July 5th. And we just go alphabetically right around them. So does that mean Clemson's is next? Clemson will be July wow. 6th for folks who want to take a test after the show. Does that exactly mean Duke right. is after them? July 7th will be Duke. That's how we do it. I could go all day. Well, you could, but we'd run out of time. And by then, we'd get to uh, July 19th, July 20th, and it's time for media days. That's how we roll on the ACC Network. Takeovers begin next week. Like I said, hey, listen, like I said on Monday, to this is a wonderful time to be getting into the broadcasting profession when you are in school and essentially every program in America has its own in-house, not only broadcast opportunity, but a network tied to it. That's it. Exactly right. Good for them. That's how we roll. That's how we roll. Uh, new faces in the league. Uh, we've talked about some new head football coaches because there's a bunch, and ironically, they're all on the Coastal Division, I know. which is kind of strange, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, but what do you think? Top, top, off the top of your head. I mean, Mario Cristobal is probably going to get all the love early just because right. of the hype, what Miami's been doing in recruiting. And again, no knock on anybody else. Yeah. We were talking about Brent Pry or Tony Elliott or Mike Elko. Uh, but the Miami thing seems to have some legs in terms of the national juice, right? It's the U. Yeah. Mario's back. The recruiting's going well. Expectations. They got the quarterback who could win the Heisman. Yeah. All that good stuff. You know, I, I think when you look back on last year, the reason people probably feel that way is there were a couple of games there that if Miami pulls it off, all right, Mario Cristobal may not be at Miami. That's right. But they didn't. The The reason why I make that point is the, the cupboard's not bare. They, they've got components. They've got pieces of the puzzle, starting with the quarterback. But when we talk about new faces, yes, Mario Cristobal, uh, a, a new face. Uh, certainly uh, Mike Elko at Duke, a new face. But with these new faces come new coaching blood and recruiting blood from an assistant perspective. So you got Josh Gaddis, highly touted coming out, uh, coming from the University of Michigan. They had a wonderful year in Ad Arbor yes, uh, you know, last year, and they kind of built that thing up, and it started to really take shape. And so his name started to explode. Um, you're going to have a new offensive coordinator, Coach Atkins, uh, at, uh, at Florida State. Then we're going to sit there, and we're going to look at two new coordinators at Clemson. I think so much of this storyline revolves around how do these new teams and these new coaches put the whole entire thing together? Because for many of them, they're all working together for the first time. Well, the cool thing is, uh, going back to Miami a second, uh, when you have TBD, you, got a you, chance. you can draw up some plays now. Oh, I'm just yeah. telling you, when you got that guy under center, it changes everything. It does. Because if you don't have that guy, right. You know, now you got to really figure something out. Right. Oh, well, change. To me, that's a game changer. Well, that's what, you know, oftentimes we have coaching changes, right? And we have, we have a, a new group of coaches coming in and a different staff and all this and that. Why is that? It's usually because the program's gone two and 10 or three and nine for three years. And a change needed to happen because 
the roster's devoid of depth and talent. That's not the case here. So as a new staff there, now the one thing they're going to have to do is find some new targets for him. Yeah. You know, find some some go-to guys. I, I, listen, it's Miami. I, I, I think the skill will be abundant. Uh, but that that quarterback, when it's all said and done, and again, barring injury and, and staying healthy, will end up skyrocketing up NFL draft charts when his time comes. I'm also curious to see how Tony Elliott goes from his days at Clemson and what he inherits offensively mm-hmm. at Virginia. We've talked about Brendan Armstrong. We've talked about their skill on the perimeter. Yeah. Uh, they've always been pretty dynamic here the last couple of years. I go back to the same statement I just made. When you've got a guy under center can make plays, you can do stuff. But watching Tony Elliott as a head coach for the very first time will be fun to watch. And it, I think the fit in Virginia makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it makes it just the, you know, we heard Coach Rodzinski on Monday tell us, uh, you know, one of the reasons you're, you're at a place for 14 years as he was at Air Force. Well, you know, why make the change now? And, you know, he, he noted the family atmosphere, the approach, and the type of kid they have access to and the type of kid he's used to, to coaching. There, there just seems to be a right philosophical and personality fit there with, with Coach Elliott. But I will say this, um, because this is just the nature of the profession. You've got Tony Elliott at Virginia. And remember Jeff Scott, when he left Clemson, he goes to South Florida. Both of those guys are highly regarded and got those opportunities. Why? Because they were coaching teams that produced and had elite level players. Now both of them are at places that don't have Clemson's players. So it's not just a wave of magic wand and all of a sudden because somebody coached at Clemson is going to come in here and next thing you know you're going to go poof and you're going to be a 10-11 win team. It's clear that the time it may take to get those players and the type of player that you need to play at a championship level is not going to happen overnight. It hasn't happened for Jeff at South Florida. I don't think it's an overnight deal at Virginia. But I do think it's something that is a developmental build over the course of time. Well, well here's what I do like about the new coaches in the ACC. Uh, obviously, Cristobal at Miami makes a ton of sense. It's part of the DNA, part of the fabric, no right? Question. All of that makes sense. Uh, I do think Tony Elliott at Virginia, for what the school represents, how cerebral Tony is, mm-hmm. his approach, and how he conducts himself a class makes yeah. a ton of sense. Brent Pry, we've not talked about the Hokies yet. Yeah. Brent Pry feels like it fits at Virginia Tech. And I know that was one of the things that Whit Babcock talked about when they went through the coaching search is they want to have somebody in place that kind of connects to their fan base. Yeah. Brent Pry hasn't coached the game yet, but there is no doubt he has made a difference in terms of the connection with Hokie Nation. Now, when you've got to go in games and all sure. that good stuff, yeah. but I think the whole lunch pill mentality of, hey, we're getting back to face, you know, we're going to smash you in the face. Yeah. We're going to be physical. Our defense is going to be good and tough. And that's kind of what he's all about. Uh, to me, on the surface, before we get to any games, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, he's in the honeymoon phase right now. But I think the thing that's important about this, particularly with that job, it's not a stepping stone job. That's right. That's a destination job. That's exactly right. right? It so should be. It should be. And that's, it's, that's not a place that you're looking to, to get a couple of seasons under your belt, win some games, and poof, jump to the next place. Right. I think if he can start to get the thing rolling again, we've seen what happens with Virginia Tech. And it's and it it's contribution to college football with that environment, uh, you know. We we identify with special teams and as you mentioned, toughness and you know they didn't always have the biggest, baddest looking players, but they played great and they played well as a team. As a team, and I think if you get back to that, and listen, there's no excuse for that not to happen in the coastal. They should be right up there with everybody. Everybody. And to be honest with you, if we're really going to put some pressure on Virginia Tech, if Wake can go 11-3, and three, 
There are zero excuses in Blacks in Blacksburg. That's exactly right. And I think, and, and they know that. Brent Pry knows that. Well, it's a place that, that's had a taste of success. They know it. Their fan base gets yeah. it. It's a football mentality. Yep. It's a great environment on game day when they're juiced up and ready to roll. And I, I can't wait to see how the in-state recruiting goes, too. And yeah. you're the recruiting expert. Yeah. I mean, that that is a that Commonwealth produces dudes. And you got to keep them at home. you got to keep them at home. Yeah. And you know what? Brent was part of that when he was at Penn State. He'd come yeah. down and there's still a sure. couple. I mean, Mac Brown's done a great job. Clemson's stolen guys from there. Everybody steals guys yeah. from Virginia. So for both Tony Elliott and Brent Pry, and they both talked about this, priority one is putting a fence up around, yeah. around the state and keeping our guys home watching that from afar will be fun to watch yeah it's it's virginia but it's really the dmv it's yeah. dc maryland and virginia because you're having to fend off penn state you're having to fend off rutgers you're having to fend off bc you're having to fend off clemson and then even teams out of the sec as well that are going to jump up in there particularly in the dmv area not so much necessarily the whole entire state of virginia the tidewater produces yeah great players. You're, you're there's 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 going to be but you know what We've seen Mac Brown be able to do this over the last three years in the state of North Carolina, yep. and 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 so you know, can it be done? Absolutely, it can it, it can be done, but it does it. He's going to have to work at it. He's going to have to grind at it, and that's the only way you can do it. But I do think it helps though that he when he was at Penn State, he was coming down to Virginia. So I mean, those relationships will help him. Yeah. Same thing with Tony Elliott when he was at Clemson. Hey, they'd sure. go pick and choose two or three oh, guys and no go question. hey. We're going to go after him, and they did. Yeah, and they normally landed them. Yeah, and they land them because of who they were and the type of, right. of program and right. team they were fielding. So, as we said earlier in the program, you start to recruit better, start to win more. Yep. The more you win, the more recruits you have access to. Mike Elko, there's a lot of work to do at Duke, uh, but I said this yesterday. Uh, he is a football guy. I, mm -hmm. I like talking to him. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, because he's all about ball, man. Yeah. Oh, there is right? no question. There is no. And I think, and I and I've said this with with. Mo, we talked about loving football, right? But I think that really applies to places that have pretty stringent academic standards, because you're gonna you're going after somebody that may want to be a physician or an attorney or an architect or an engineer, all right? And they have a forty-five year life plan. You really have to find out how much that person That's loves right. football because they don't need it. That's right. Right? How much do they love football as the vehicle to get them to the other things that they want to do? So of those four, obviously the highest got to be Mario at Miami just because of expectations, right? Expectations, and I also think because of available resources and there's their standing in the the climate of college football, he ha he's got some advantages there. All right, but I can't wait to see how this plays out because yeah. the, to me the Atlantic is going to be spectacular. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to have an amazing dogfight with Clemson, NC State, Wake, and the others that can cause a problem. And then you got all this new blood on the other side, and Pitt's yeah. the defender. Everybody's still going to be sleeping on him. Miami's going to get all the love from the national right. media. It was the U back and all that good stuff. You know, North Carolina's sitting there going, hey, listen, we st we were better than we were a year ago. Right. Right. We're better than this. Yeah. You got the Hokies going, hey, you know what? You guys always sleeping on us? Cool. Watch this. Yeah. Right, so it's going to be a fun race, man. Can't wait. Well, I love any it, – it, it's kind of <laughs> the norm now out, out of what we've expected from the Coastal, right? It's can anybody repeat it? Can anybody sustain any type of two- to three-year or four-year dominance outside of one year? That's what makes it so much fun each and every year we track it. And it's different in the sense that for years and years and years, it just felt like Clemson and everybody else. Yeah. That's changed. No, doesn't mean no that Clemson doubt. may not go ahead and win the, the league and may win the national championship for all I know. But it, the league is certainly deeper yes. than it's been in the last couple of years for no sure. Question. All right, quick break. We come back. We're going to take a look at historical references. Your best team ever. 
ever. Your most dominant season. Some interesting answers are coming your way based on the Atlantic Division alone. That's next. Packer and Durham right here on ACC Network. Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. All right, here we go. We're going to get right into it. Atlantic Division, all-time teams. Now, if you're at home and disagree, quite frankly, you can send a note to management. Uh, 844-SAY-ACCN is the number for the program. We're going to start with Boston College because alphabetically is normally how we roll. (laughs) And, of course, that's part of the takeover on July 5th. We start with BC, so we'll do the same thing in the Atlantic Division. And the smart people back in Bristol. Now, we could have gone like Doug Flutie. I was thinking, well, the Flutie teams are really good. And, you know, oh, Matt Was he really good or were Flutie teams good? Well, they they were good. Yeah, they were good. They were good. Jack Bicknell. Yeah. And, and, you know, Matt Ryan had some good teams, right? All that stuff. But the smart people went all the way back to 1940. 1940. You remember 1940, don't you? Vaguely. Really? How does that even happen? 11-0. It says here, 11-0, 1940 BC team. Best team ever. Frank Leahy, running the show. You remember him from Notre Dame days. Yeah. How about running the Don't show? Don't remember him from Boston College How about days. BC? Don't forget about the BC. 1940 Boston College. How? I mean, I, I think, to be honest with you. I can't our, even argue about that. You can't? Cannot. Can't argue with Matt Ryan's team? No, no. I, I My gut instinct when we were going through this mm-hmm. yesterday was the first thing that popped in my head was the Flutie team. And I remember that because when I was at Clemson, mm-hmm. those teams played uh, youngster yeah. people, Danny Ford people. Yeah. And they were great. I mean, God, Boston College was a pain in the rear end for everybody. Yeah. But I just remember the Flutie beating Miami. And those, I mean, those teams were really good, man. So I, I was I was also looking at that team Tom Coughlin had in 93. The beat Notre Dame. The beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame. Um, with Glenn Foley at quarterback, that was a really, really good football team. You had Pete Mitchell at, at yeah, that was at, a Notre Dame in. team that had knocked off Bobby Bowden in Florida State the week, week before, four. and you're thinking, oh, the greatest game you've ever seen, and here yep. comes BC the next week and went, that's real cute. That's <sighs> Watch his field goal for the win, yep. ball game, walk off, no doubt, no doubt. They were good, yeah, very really good. good. All right, that's BC. If you want to argue, you can get on board and call and do whatever you want on that. Uh, Clemson's up next. Uh, you have to just go back a couple years, right? 2018? 2018, yeah. 15-0? Slam dunk. Going to play Alabama. I still remember all the SEC talking heads. They're still upset to this day. Oh, <laughs> Alabama going to beat them sideways. Da, da, da. Trevor Lawrence has never seen a defense like this. Okay, that's cute. How about them taking the knee to make sure they didn't put a half a hundred on Nick Saban that Right. Night? That yeah. was an absolute butt kicking. What a great team. You could make an argument that that team – is comparable, I think, with the 2019 LSU team. Well, I think we had a run here between yeah. Clemson in 18, LSU in 19. Uh, I think Georgia's team last year was special, yep. Alabama the year before during the COVID year. I mean, we've really had kind of a crazy run here mm-hmm. of the last four or five years where you've just seen teams for the ages, right? For the ages. Yeah. I mean, that LSU team in 19, which beat, ironically, Clemson in the national championship game, what they were doing offensively and did to everyone that year was spectacular. But it really kind of started with the 18 Clemson team, in my yeah, opinion. No, I agree. I, th- I don't even think that's a debate. Yeah. All right. Uh, Florida State. Boy, there's a bunch you can pick with for the Knowles here. They picked 2013? Uh, I, they picked 2013. I thought 2013 was the answer, too. But you can you can sway me other way. I mean, listen. 93 this, and 99? 93 was awesome. Yeah. Awesome. 
But the 2013 team, though, Tom, yeah. I think when you look at their personnel on both sides of the line of scrimmage, as far as, hey, are they NFL guys? They all were. Right. And Jameis Winston, obviously special. And what they did to people. I mean, they obliterated everybody in their wake. They really did, other than the national championship game, which was a great title game. I, I, re, I remember as well the first, like, four to five weeks of the season. And, uh, like, Jameis Winston had, like, five incompletions. I mean, it, it was, was stupid. It was ridiculous. It was a quarterback performance for the ages. And it was uh, – you're right, though. There was, there was no close contest in the regular season. I, I, was, I think I've told this story before. Uh, in 2013, ironically, on my birthday um, – I was doing a radio show with Gene Chiswick, mm. and we were live from Clemson. It was Florida State, Clemson, in the Valley. And both teams top five, one of those routines. And it felt like we're back in the 80s again in terms <laughs> of the pregame hype, the noise, oh, yeah. the intensity. Both teams were great. Jameis Winston was rocking. Dabo would kind of, you know, who's this Clemson starting to get their yeah. legs under him? And it took about three plays. And next thing you know, Clemson fumbles. Jameis Winston, one pass at 7 nothing. And Florida State beat Clemson that night to the point where, hey, it was time to wave the white flag. Yeah. And I'll never forget Gene Chiswick, who's now in North Carolina. We were on the sideline for the game. Chiz looks at me and goes, hey, let's get out of here. And I mean, the game was, oh, I mean, Florida State destroying him, right? <laughs> I said, where are we going? He goes, he goes, I think I can get in Dabo's office. We went into Dabo's office for the second half of the game and watched the second half from his <laughs> office and partaking with all the Dabo's brownies and Cokes and, yeah. and all that stuff. because The spread was already laid out. So we sat in his office and literally ate all his food while Florida State beat them by half a hundred. Yeah. I mean, that team, though, that night. And it was like you saw them in person. And I'll remember going, I know there was a lot of hype about Bama that year, mm -hmm. as usual, and, and typical. Sure. And I said, there's nobody better in Florida State. Yeah. And guess what they proved? Yeah. There was nobody better than Florida State. They were great. And off of the result of that game, Clemson didn't go in the tank. Exactly right. They did not Clemson, right? That, that's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Uh, all right. By the way, uh, numbers 888-573-5335. Uh, we got more to get into. Quick break. All right. Come back. Break all this stuff down for you because there's more teams in the Atlantic and they're all-time greatest teams. And if you disagree with us, you can call in and have fun with us. Now yeah. they tell me when they want to keep going with this thing. Okay, cool. We'll keep <laughs> going with this thing. But if you disagree with any of our selections, you can social media, call into the show, and do whatever you want with all that stuff. And we'll have debates on all that good stuff. All right? That's the deal. All right, I hear music. I guess that we are getting out of here. We'll come back, take more of your phone calls. We'll go through the rest of the teams and all that good stuff. Got Tom Lugaville. He's filling in for West Durham. More of the most dominant teams of the Atlantic Division in history. Coming up next, right here on Packer and Durham. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Packer and Durham, we do finish the Atlantic. All-time most dominant teams. All right, we gave you a little love with Florida State. We gave you some love with Boston College. Did the same thing with Clemson. How about Louisville? They've had some sneaky good teams. So it's easy to immediately gravitate towards the Teddy Bridgewater, Charlie Strong years. You're not going Johnny Unitas? No. <laughs> Was it in the 40s? Because if it's not in the 40s, I don't. we, we can't include it. <laughs> I'm just asking. Yeah. Um, 
But no, I think you have, you probably have to go earlier than that. I think you have to go to the Bobby Petrino, um, Brian Brom years. Well, I mean, 06, they were really good. Yeah. And, and Tough schedule, too. They played people, yeah. and they beat people. Were they 12, 12, uh, 12, and, 12 and 1? Well, they go, oh, right, right? Orange Bowl. And, right, right. and ironically, beat Wake Forest. Forest and we'll yeah. talk about Wake, and that might be Wake's team, ironically, as we tie all this stuff together. But Louisville's had a couple spikes in terms of teams that you'd go, hey, you know what? They were a lot better than I thought they were. Oh I mean, I remember gosh. when they beat the Daylights out of Florida down at Sugar Bowl. I mean, they've had their moments. Well, yeah, though, again, those were those Teddy Bridgewater teams. But how about going back to that Jeff Braum team? They could sling Played it. Played the Fiesta Bowl, man. They could sling it. Howard Schnellenberger. I mean, that was a good, good football team. So, yeah, that, that that's a tough one to determine. And, and even Lamar Jackson in 16, they were so close. Oh. If they win the – if, biggest word in sports, I keep telling you, yeah, if right. they win the Clemson game, does that change the direction of what that team would have been? Possibly. Possibly. Yeah, possibly. Because they no would have won the division. Yes. That's a year Clemson won the national championship. Championship, yeah. Keep that in mind. That's right. That's how close that game if. was. If, the biggest word in sports, IF. That's all you need to know. Uh, NC State, Wolfpack Nation in the house. Are we going Phillip Rivers? We have to. Only double digit winning season? Right. Yeah. Got to be that one. Got to be. What it, was that? Oh, 102? 02. Got it. All right. It might be this year. Is that a crazy thought? Oh, now why did you have to put that juju no, on that? I, I, listen, I'm just being honest. This team, it this particular be, right. year, could very well be the best team NC State's ever had. I don't think that's even a hot take. No, I don't I don't think that's a hot take. I think it's it's certainly in the discussion. Um, if you look at the roster, the stature of the program, that 2002 team, though, man, Phillip Rivers, so good. So good. But they had it all. I think he completed like 75% of his passes that year. And you know what else is weird about Philip Rivers? Even when he was in the NFL, his delivery oh. always looked so awkward. Again, I'm no expert. That's why a lot of people didn't recruit him as a quarterback. They wanted to move him to tight end this neck because it was so ugly. But man, oh. it had Bernie Kosar written all over oh. it. Like the ball was always in the exact right shoulder, the right yeah. spot. Uh, he was incredibly cerebral in terms of his approach to the game, and it's one of the reasons he stood there forever and ever and ever in the yeah. NFL and just made play after play after play. Definitely 02. Yeah. Definitely 02. Mm -hmm. And you're right. The whole team, though, was a pretty good football team. Oh, they were really yeah. good. Yeah. They're, and again, and, and keep in mind, too, that was also during that Florida State run. Sure. To, so to go double digits in that era was a totally different sure. era. But yeah. I do think this year's team, with okay. a break, with a break, if you tell me today they're going to win at Clemson, mm -hmm. this team could be the best team best NC State's team. ever yeah. had. And to think that given their football tradition issue, you mentioned Lou Holtz a while ago. I grew up an NC State fan, and when Holtz was at State, the Bucky Twins and all those guys, they were yeah. awesome. But never finished in the top ten. Right. Which is hard to believe given NC State. Yeah. All the players and all that stuff. And I know they've not won the leagues in 79. But you would have thought there's always going to be that one year that, hey, we finished in the top ten in the country, et cetera, et cetera. But not NC State. Did, did did Dick Sheridan ever get close? They had great teams. They did. They had really good teams. Right. And they always beat Danny Ford. But they would always have a hiccup yeah. somewhere. Again, the, the NC State thing, right? Right. They, they, I think they beat Danny Ford three years in a row. I took an official visit to NC State. And I get home on a Sunday afternoon, back to California. On Monday morning, he resigns. Had no idea what's at all. And how underrated was he as a coach? Oh, and a great guy. Tremendous, and a great right? guy. Yeah. 
And I always thought, again, there was always talk about maybe he'd go to South Carolina and all that great yeah. stuff. And, but, but it never – and, again, he had yeah, incredible he was Furman, teams. Right? right, he was yeah. at Furman. We had great teams there and all that stuff. All right, I'm take a quick call here. Triple eight, excuse me, 844-SAY-ACCN is the number for the program. We go till 10 a.m., and then Tom's got to get out there and get to Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> but Will is in Florida, and uh, he's up next. Will, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good man. What's up? Um, I was listening to you guys earlier, and it's hard to disagree with what y'all was talking about, that 13 Florida State team. Man, but that 99 team uh, was unbelievable. Good. Uh, not only did they beat the yeah. brakes off of everybody, man, but I remember that championship game, man. They played against Michael Vick, and, yep, man, yep. that guy was unstoppable uh, in 99. I mean, I, I when we went into that game, I was like, man, this, this is going to be scary. But, man, what Peter Warwick, and you got to remember – Chris Winkie won the, the Heisman that year, but Peter Warwick could have easily yep. won the, 90, the, the the Heisman that year if he wouldn't have got suspended for a couple of games. Yeah, in fact, I was at one of the games he was suspended. That, that oh, was really? the first Bowden Bowl. Yeah. Right, Tommy okay. Bowden was at Clemson, and yeah. uh, Bobby, and again, that was a great football game. Yep. Janikowski makes the big field goal at the in the end for the win. That was a special team. Again, Florida State. It, it, I think that 93 and 99 team were very similar. You could make an argument. I think the 93 team had more long-term NFL contribution off of that team than 99 did. Uh, they were different. Yeah. Because you had work done, right? You had Charlie Ward. Charlie Ward. I mean, the, you had Derek Alexander off the edge. You had Derek Brooks. Devin Bush. Clifton Abraham. Corey Fuller. You know, th- there's a reason you go 14 years finishing the top five every year. Right. right? You start rattling off the Those names. Those dudes. I'm right. Yeah. And, and Florida State wants to get back to that day. I get that. So does Miami yeah. in terms of their heyday. But it all starts with that. Yeah. You've got to have the guys. Yeah. And, boy, they did they ever. Yeah. A ton. All right, Syracuse, 1959, says the smart people in Bristol. You remember that year, Tom, 1959? It was just shortly after 1940. <laughs> <laughs> the 59 Syracuse team, a uh, guy by the name of Jim Brown. Okay. Ever heard of him? Ernie Davis. Ernie Davis. Yeah, Two pretty good ones. You talk about dudes. I think both those guys in their prime could play today. But l- l- let me ask you this. So is that – were those teams – and forgive me here. Were those teams, though, as good as an overall team as some of Paul Pasqualoni's early teams? Or Dick McPherson's early McPherson teams? McPherson had some good teams, too. Yeah. No, I, it's again. I, I can't go back into the archives of '59, but yeah, I can tell you when I hear Brown we know the names, and Davis, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you, you you don't have to sell me anymore. I'm good. Yep. I'm good. Uh, Wake Forest. I mentioned '06 with Louisville. Is is Wake's '06 or was it last year for the Deeks? To me, I I would pick last year. I, really? I, I I would. I just Even they didn't win the ACC. The '06 team did. I know the '06 team did. I. I'm trying to think back to that 06 season and, and what the Riley Skinner, the yeah, Riley, what the the makeup of the rest of the league looked like. Well, Florida State was down, Clemson was down, was down, but hey, so what? Wake, yeah. Wake won games. Jim Grobe, yeah. great coach. Oh, what a great coach Jim Grobe was. Dick's uh, just bald, man. Yeah, I guess you got. I mean, Orange Bowl birth, you win the conference. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think that trumps. I mean, I'd, I'd love, love to see that last team year. play the 2021 team. You can't do errors. 
I don't know. I'm just saying it would be fun uh, to see those two teams play each other. Yeah, well, especially Clawson against Grove. Oh, yes. Two great coaches oh, in terms of man. X's and O's and preparing right. and playing smart. Don't beat yourselves. Yep. That's exactly what they do. But I do think those are your two, though, for Wake. I think so, too. Absolutely. But you're right. The 06 team, you're, that's Riley Skinner, man. Baller. What a, what a year. Yep. All right. By the way, speaking of quarterbacks, you are going to be on the clock, Tom oh, Luganville. We uh, had this exercise last week. Wes and I tried to put together the ultimate ACC quarterback. There's a lot to pick from with this current group. Lugs is going to give you his list next. Packer and Durham. Right here on ACC Network. Packer and Durham.